0: Wilds of Alaska have more value than just to extract them and turn them into, you know, um, you know, gold bars or gasoline.
1: A new report quantifies the economic impact of national park tourism in Alaska. From Alaska Public Media, this is statewide news on Alaska News nightly for Monday, August 21st. Good evening. I'm Casey Grove. Also tonight, Petersburg joins a growing list of communities trying to solve its housing crisis.
2: According to our housing need forecast, over the next 10 years, there's a need for roughly 316 housing units.
1: Those stories and more tonight on Alaska News Nightly.
3: Alaska News Nightly is brought to you in part by your local public radio station.
4: Strong connections can help people thrive during tough times. Whether it's spending quality time with loved ones, finding peace in nature, or the unconditional love of furry companions, these connections help people stay present and have healthier relationships with ourselves and others. Share what makes you feel connected at ChooseConnectionAK.org. This message sponsored by the Alliance.
1: Dillingham police have arrested a local man and accused him of killing two people over the weekend. 31-year-old Joshua Wall is charged with murder in the deaths of Dillingham residents 31-year-old Timothy Evans and 32-year-old Jennifer Gardiner. Dillingham police got a call Saturday morning from someone who had discovered Evans and Gardiner deceased inside a home near the city's airport, according to a written statement from Alaska State Troopers. Troopers said law enforcement arrested Wall late Sunday. Troopers ask that anyone with information about the case contact them at 907-352-5401 or to remain anonymous through the AK Tips smartphone app or online at dps.alaska.gov tips. A pair of hikers who went missing near Chena Hot Springs east of Fairbanks for nearly a week were located Friday. 50-year-old Jonas Barr and 37-year-old Cynthia Hovsepian, both of Tennessee, were the focus of a multi-agency wilderness search that began after the rented vehicle was located at Chena Hot Springs Resort on August 12th. According to Alaska State Troopers, two other hikers found Barr on a trail about 200 yards from the resort around 5.30 p.m. Friday and brought him to a search and rescue command post at the resort. They say Barr then guided rescuers to an area about three miles away where he had left Hofsepian to go find help. Troopers say searchers went to the area, called out for Hovsepian, and found her. They say the pair were evaluated by medical personnel. A Saturday social media post by Hovsepian's sister described the couple as doing remarkably well, despite being dehydrated, exhausted, and starving. Barr messaged overnight that they were flying home and highlighted Fairbanks police, Alaska state troopers, and the search dog group pause for their relentless efforts to find them. new report says visitors to Alaska's national parks and preserves spent more than a billion dollars in nearby communities last year. That spending, the report says, produced more than 16,000 jobs in Alaska. The peer-reviewed research was conducted by National Park Service economists.
0: It's really good for economic reports like this to come out every now and then.
1: Jim Stratton is a retired director of Alaska State Parks who has advocated for conservation of national parks.
0: Because it reminds us that you know, the wilds of Alaska have more value than just to extract them and turn them into, you know, um, you know, gold bars or gasoline. And that, you know, Alaska makes a lot of money off the natural resources in place.
1: Resource extraction is generally off limits in national parks. On other federal lands, Alaska's congressional delegation often advocates for mining and oil drilling. They say the state needs the jobs and the country needs the minerals and fuel. Glacier Bay National Park saw more than half a million visitors last year, making it the most visited of all the Park Service areas in Alaska. But most of the travelers were on cruise ships, and the report authors found they spent less than $500 a piece on things like lodging and recreation associated with their Glacier Bay visit. Denali saw slightly fewer visitors, but they spent twice as much. The report shows Alaska is in sixth place for park visitor spending tied with Arizona. The study, though, relied on a different methodology for Alaska. The report says most Alaska tourists are on extended trips, so it's hard to allocate expenses to a specific park visit. A 2017 tugboat sinking in Sitka has resulted in a settlement of over $1 million from the National Pollution Fund Center. The amount of fuel spilled from the sunken tug, while not large, came at a critical time in the life cycle of Herring in Sitka Sound, KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports.
5: The tugboat Powhatan sank at its moorings in Stargavin Bay, just north of Sitka, on April 17, 2017. Sinkings aren't uncommon in Sitka, and it wasn't until a few days later that the State Department of Environmental Conservation issued a situation report, and residents learned this was unexpectedly bad. The Powhatan, which we at KCAW were still learning to pronounce, have been dragged by currents into deep water with over 300 gallons of fuel on board. Here's what Sitkin's heard on the news.
3: The 81-foot tugboat Powhatan owned by Samson
5: Tug and Barge, sank at its dock in Stargavin Bay. The tug then slid under the pier and drifted about 300 yards offshore, where it was located by divers from Hanson Maritime Company. The tug's owner, the DEC, the Coast Guard, and CPRO, the Southeast Alaska Petroleum Response Organization, all responded, deployed boom, and eventually defueled the Powhatan. But by then, the damage had been done.
3: At that emergent life stage, it does not take very much oil to have an injury to to herring.
5: Erica Ammon is a biologist with the National Marine Fisheries Service and one of the co-authors of the Final Damage Assessment and Restoration Plan for the Tug Powhatan Oil Spill. In March, the news in Sitka is all about herring and their eggs, the commercial sacro fishery, the subsistence row on hemlock harvest. In April, after everyone, marine mammal, fish, human, bird, has had their fill of eggs, the herring larvae hatch. That's right when the Powhatan sank, and that's why it was so serious although not nearly as large as a famous blowout in the Gulf of Mexico seven years earlier.
3: It wasn't that the spill was, like, incredibly large. You know, it wasn't a deep water horizon or anything like that. But the just the timing of it and the location of it was what really struck us as something that was important for us to to pay attention to and to have some kind of you know, restoration for.
5: Using data from herring spawn surveys conducted that spring by the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, along with aerial photographs of the extent of the visible oil sheen, plus research on the susceptibility of herring larvae to diesel fuel, Ammon's team estimated that 25.4 billion juvenile herring had died in the spill. That kind of precision was possible, Ammon says, because of the Sitka Sound Science Center, which under then-research director Tori O'Connell had joined the effort to learn how badly herring had been affected.
6: That's what we hope to be as, as a local science center, is a responsive local agency that can respond to need when, when it arises.
5: Lauren Bell is the current research director at the Sitka Sound Science Center, which will play a large role in the restoration plan for the Powhatan spill. After the tug's owner reached the limits of liability for the accident, the National Marine Fisheries Service applied to the Oil Spill Liability Trust and this past June settled for $1.3 million. The lion's share of that money will be divided between two projects for increased shellfish monitoring on Starragavin Beach by the Sitka Tribe and for marine debris cleanup on beaches where herring commonly spawn. The Science Center already has the logistics in place and cleans beaches every year. Bell says removing marine debris is advantageous for herring.
6: It's helping with returning natural sediment flow in these habitats and not interfering with the permeability of those sediments. So my understanding is that if you have marine debris in an environment, that it can stress the seaweeds and seagrasses that are in the area. And all that abrasion and smothering can be bad news for herring.
5: The downside of the restoration plan is that beach cleanup is temporary. Most of the marine debris in Sitka Sound originates elsewhere and is an ongoing problem. Erica Ammon says the restoration plan is not a magic bullet to forever protect herring. Rather, it's short-term and attainable by design.
3: We aren't assuming that, oh, you know, we cleaned this and we can walk away and that, that it will be restored forever. We have a very limited timeline as far as what we think our restoration benefits will get be from a single marine debris cleanup.
5: The Powhatan was on the bottom of Stargavin Bay for almost two months before crews managed to bring it up with an enormous crane in the middle of June 2017.
7: Last week, salvage crews raised the Powhatan and placed it aboard a barge for a ride south to a Seattle scrapyard. That
5: would be the end of the story, except in Sitka Sound, the story never ends. Just last year, during the height of the herring spawn in March, yet another ocean-going tug, the Western Mariner, ran aground in Olga Strait, just a few miles from where the Powhatan went down. Because herring eggs are less vulnerable than larvae, the Western Mariner fuel spill may prove less harmful overall. Erica Ammon says she's working to find out. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Still the common Alaska
1: News Nightly, new signage is part of a movement to recognize Denina history around Anchorage.
3: We will keep going until we can recognize, until we can all recognize, we are walking on Denina land.
1: That's ahead. Stay with us.
3: Alaska News Nightly is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Whether this is your first try to quit or you've been down this path before, Alaska's Tobacco Quitline can help you quit for good. Get help creating a plan that is right for you no matter if you smoke cigarettes, vape, use smokeless tobacco, or ICMIC. With options like calling a coach, receiving text messages, and nicotine replacement therapy with patches or gum, you can quit your way at any time of day or night. Call Alaska's Tobacco Quitline at 1-800-QUIT-NOW or visit alaskaquitline.com. This message sponsored by Alaska's Tobacco Quitline.
1: Two years ago, Anchorage voters approved a tax levy to purchase new technology upgrades for the police department. All of the advocacy around the tax increase was focused on using the money to buy body-worn cameras for police officers. But as Alaska Public Media's Wesley Early reports,
4: most of the money so far is going towards a different project. Before getting into the latest technology project from the Anchorage Police Department, there are two acronyms to note. The first is CAD, or Computer Aided Dispatch. APD IT manager Josiah Jones explains.
0: When you call into 911, the uh, dispatcher takes a call on the 911 system, and then that uh, information uh, from that call transfers into the CAD, and they fill out some more information. From the dispatcher's end, that information then gets sent out to the officers in the field.
4: The other is RMS, which stands for Records Management System. That system includes paperwork related to arrests, citations, and other casework. Since last June, APD is working with the company Hexagon to upgrade its CAD RMS system, which Jones says is old and outdated. So it was first implemented in
0: 1997. Um and there's been some upgrades over the years, but it's it's end of life at
4: this point. Funding for the project comes from the APD tax levy approved by Anchorage voters in 2021. The tax has brought in roughly four point eight million dollars for technology upgrades so far, and most of that is going to the CAD RMS upgrade. While the public likely won't notice a change, Jones says the upgrade will bring the system into compliance with federal reporting standards and incorporate now standard technology.
0: Just the capabilities of the system. Um, It doesn't have some things like dynamic mapping to to show where our officers are in a live environment. Some of that will be reflected in the new CAD.
4: Jones says the new system should go live in the first quarter of next year. In the meantime, the police department is moving forward with purchasing and implementing body worn cameras with the rest of the tax increase. The Anchorage Assembly is set to vote on a roughly $6.5 million contract with the company Axon to provide the cameras and related upgrades. Jones says it's not an additional expense and is covered by the $1.8 million the tax levy brings in annually.
0: That's the cost of body cams, in-car video, and interview rooms over the next five years. So the tax levy is going to be be covering that that's an annual amount that we draw in as as part of that
4: uh, part of that levy once the contract is approved apd officials say they should get an initial batch of around 30 cameras in the fall and expect to have enough to outfit all officers with cameras by the end of next year reporting in anchorage i'm wesley early
1: Housing is a big concern for communities across southeast Alaska. In Petersburg, the results of a community survey indicate that more than 300 houses may need to be built or renovated in the next decade. KFSK's Thomas Copeland has more.
8: Petersburg has a new fourth grade teacher this fall, Sharon Paulson. She moved to town this summer. The floor of her home is strewn with musical instruments, played proudly by five-year-old Glenn. In the middle, a steel drum marked with the first seven letters of the alphabet I'm Sure the neighbors are thrilled?
7: I don't think we'll be that noisy, see?
8: Paulson signed her contract in March. She broke the news to her husband and her son and started house hunting in Petersburg.
7: We looked on Zillow, which was laughable, and someone said, check on Facebook, and I saw that there really wasn't very much there. I looked with the realtor companies, both of them. The administrators were putting the word out for people. We had a list of Airbnbs to ask if maybe they would rent to us.
8: After nearly two months of searching, Polson spotted a classified ad in the local paper.
7: That was the last kind of hope that I had. It really was like, if we can't find housing, we can't make this move. So when we finally did find a house and our offer was accepted, I could visibly see the stress fall off of my husband's face.
8: Stories like hers are common around Petersburg. So last fall, the Borough Assembly set up a housing task force. Assembly member Dave Kensinger is the chair.
0: I think we need to figure out a way to start building more housing. It's pretty simple. If we don't deal with it, we won't have as many people in town.
8: But Kensinger says that's the easy bit. The hard part, what type of housing and how much of it? To answer that, the task force launched a community housing needs survey. It ran for a month in the summer and it was all overseen by Anchorage-based Agnew Beck Consulting. Now, the results are in. Here's Katie Skovic, senior manager at Agnew Beck.
2: We had 366 responses to the community housing survey in Petersburg, which is awesome, that's about 10% of the population and a really great rate for this kind of survey.
8: The survey was 10 pages long with 39 questions, but here are some of the headline results. A quarter of respondents aren't happy with their housing, and most of those who aren't happy are under 45, working and still renting. Most of them want to move into family homes, but apartments and duplexes are popular too. 80% of all respondents want to see more land with utilities opened up for housing. And the survey shows that a lack of skilled labour and the cost of repair is holding people back from renovating their homes. But Skovic says that even those who don't fall under any of those categories still care about this issue.
2: The majority of Petersburg residents are satisfied with their own housing but also the majority of residents say that housing is a community issue and so to see both of those things at the same time is encouraging.
8: Now the team at Agnewbeck have been sifting through all that data to calculate what housing they think Petersburg needs.
2: According to our housing need forecasts over the next 10 years there's a need for roughly 316 housing units in Petersburg. We're really looking at about six new units a year in eight 18 rehab or renovation units each year for the next 10 years.
8: So once the consultants submit their final report at the end of September, Dave Kensinger says there's no time to waste.
2: The
0: time to done something was 10 years ago. And if we want to keep a vibrant community and we just don't want a community of a bunch of retirees, we need to address the housing problem now, not next year.
8: But that's easier said than done. Between land, labour and logistics, and many folks in Petersburg will have big concerns that need to be addressed first. Back at the Polson family home, Sharon has shifted her focus to a different challenge altogether, the first day of school.
7: I'm very excited, you know, of course nervous. I rarely ever sleep the day before students come to school. (laughs) Do
8: you have a lesson plan for day one?
7: Oh, not yet. (laughs) Um, I don't yet, but I will. (laughs)
8: Perhaps she can whip up a quick housing plan while she's at it. In Petersburg, I'm Thomas Copeland.
3: Alaska News Nightly is brought to you in part by... Alaska Air Cargo, serving the commerce and business needs of 20 Alaska communities, from ADAC to Barrow to Ketchikan. More information at alaskacargo.com. You know that eating fruits and vegetables supports good health. But did you also know that frozen and canned produce offers the same health benefits as fresh. It's true, whether fresh, frozen, canned, or from the land, eating fruits and veggies can lead to a long and healthy life. So when it comes to getting the fruits and veggies you need to stay healthy, remember, every bite counts. This message sponsored by Snap.
1: There's a new marker along Anchorage's coastal trail. It says Nuchishtun, which means the place protected from the wind in Dena'ina Athabaskan. The western name is Point Warrensoff. As Alaska Public Media's Jeremy Shea reports the sign is part of the indigenous place names project and is a reminder that Dena'ina people were and continue to be a part of Anchorage.
9: At a ceremony celebrating the new signpost, Aaron Leggett shares an anecdote about meeting other young Alaska Natives when he was 19, working at the Alaska Native Heritage Center.
0: And I told them that I was Dena'ina, and they said, well, what's that? And and then they said, well, where's your village? I said, we're from here. They said, no, where's your native village? I said, we're from here. What do you mean? I said, well, Eklutna's 26 miles from uh, downtown Anchorage. And some of them who had grown up in Anchorage said, well, I didn't know Native people lived here.
9: He says he realized Dena'ina were largely invisible, and he wanted to work on reclaiming who Dena'ina are as a people. That was more than 20 years ago. Now, Leggett is the president of the Native Village of Aklutna and a curator with the Anchorage Museum. He's been working on the Indigenous Place Names Project since its inception in 2018. The project aims to recognize and honor the Dena'ina language, knowledge, and innovations. And the Nuch Ishtunt sign is the effort's fourth installment. The 90 people used to set up seasonal salmon fishing camps near this point, up until federal officials banned commercial fishing here in the 1950s.
3: Indigenous placemaking deepens the connection we have to place.
9: Beth Nordland is the executive director of the Anchorage Park Foundation, another organization working on the project.
3: This is bigger than signs. It's a movement.
9: The first two signposts went up along Chester Creek in 2021. They both say Nu, which means Grassy Creek. A third one was installed last year at Hakati Tali, Potter Marsh. Project supporters eventually want to put up 32 of these sculpture signs in high-visibility areas around Anchorage and They each feature iron artwork representing a fire bag, which is a pouch used to carry materials for starting a fire. It's also a symbol of living outdoors and sharing. Nordland says funding has limited the project's progress so far.
3: And we will keep going until we can recognize, until we can all recognize, we are walking on Dena'ina land.
9: She says a grant request is pending that could cover four years of work to get the rest of the signs in the ground. In Anchorage, I'm Jeremy
1: Shea. While all University of Alaska institutions offer unique traditional Alaska Native courses on language and arts, The University of Alaska Fairbanks Northwest campus in Nome offers an Atigi, or traditional King Island parka-making course. In fact, UAF stands out as the only university in the United States to offer a class in traditional parka crafting. Additionally, it's the only university worldwide to grant a bachelor's degree in Alaska Native Languages. Marilyn Kozunu ireland has taught the course since 2008. Along with an Atigi class in the fall, Kozuna Ireland offers a cusbuck making course in the spring semester so students can wear their cusbuck during the summer. Kozuna Ireland learned to make parkas from her mother, Rose Kozuna, who was taught by generations before her. Her mother would include her on sewing projects she was working on, and eventually she learned to sew her own clothes. She says learning from her family was when she learned the joy of sewing. Cozy New Ireland finds satisfaction in sharing her knowledge with others because she was raised on values to help people.
7: They let us know we have
1: to share and to teach people how to do things. And it didn't matter
3: where they came from. It you know was all walks of life, basically.
1: This semester, the Northwest campus offers 13 courses, including conversational Inupiaq, which equips students with the ability to speak Inupiaq. Cozy New Ireland says she grew up fluently speaking Inupiaq and first learned English in kindergarten. She notes that introducing traditional Alaska Native lifestyle courses at a collegiate level motivates people to enroll. I think it's really, really good that, you know, we're able to provide this kind of a class because, you know, basically what I'm doing is I'm, in my
3: mind, I think that I'm like being an ambassador of my culture, my tribe of King Island.
1: UAF's Northwest campus provides both in-person and online courses. An unorthodox bicycle repair shop in Anchorage won't fix your bike for you, but they will show you how. As Alaska Public Media's Dev Hardiker reports, the hands-on approach has proved popular with cyclists. The bike co-op has grown from a university club to a non with more volunteers than ever. Travis Smith fiddles with the handlebars of a bright
6: red road bike inside of Off the Chain in Anchorage's Spinard neighborhood the bike's owner stands right beside him, hands full of tools and spare parts. Uh, Yep,
0: but then this, we do need spacers to get this.
6: It's not your average bicycle repair shop. Smith, a volunteer, says people don't just drop their bikes off to get fixed. They get their hands dirty.
0: What differentiates us is
6: you work on your own bike. We don't work on the bike for you, we help, we help you get there. Off the Chain is a non-profit bicycle collective that's entirely volunteer run. They staff the shop in the evenings, four days a week. And their main goal is to teach you how to fix your bike yourself. Smith says that some people are surprised by this model at first, but it's one of the biggest draws of the bike collective.
0: People like the opportunity to not just get their bike fixed, but to do it themselves and learn about it um, in the act of getting it done.
6: Off the Chain started around 2006, originally as the University of Alaska Anchorage's bike club. Over the years, it expanded and moved locations a few times. Now, it's tucked away in a garage off Spinard. Anyone can walk in and use their collection of tools and manuals, and their inventory of affordable donated spare parts. There's a suggested donation of $5 per hour of shop time. Smith says he started volunteering five or six years ago, after going there for a while just to fix up his own bike.
0: I was really impressed. I thought it was a great part of the community. And it was something that I admired and I wanted to be a part of.
6: Volunteers earn shop credit towards used parts. But Smith says he does it because he loves helping people solve problems. Whatever, Whatever
0: the obstacle was, big or small, if we can get that obstacle out of it for people and get them back on their bike, or on their bike in the first place, that's really rewarding.
6: Today, Smith is helping Alec Wilson fix up a bike he got on Facebook Marketplace.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a little wonky, that's but... It's a little wild and a little too tall, I think.
6: It's a little older, and it's got its problems, but Wilson says it's got good bones.
0: So right now, I'm trying to get my shifting a little bit smoother. Right now, the chain tends to pop off when I'm putting power through the pedals, and as you can
6: imagine, it's not a great thing to have to happen. Wilson is new to cycling and says off the chain has really helped him start figuring things out. This place is like kind of a holy grail for people who wanted to get into
0: biking. And so I came down here and it has certainly not disappointed.
6: While it might be faster to just have someone fix your bike for you, longtime volunteer Will Kreiner says that's not what it's all about.
8: I've spent three hours with someone doing a job that I could have done in five minutes. But that's not the point, right? Efficiency isn't the point. Um, it's, it's about people like doing it themselves, gaining that skill, that independence to be able to do it on their own.
6: Kreiner says he loves being able to donate his time to share that independence with others and help get more people out on
8: bikes. Um, and that's a really good feeling and part of the, the culture here and uh, makes, it, makes for a really nice space.
6: Kreiner says it's also just fun to hang out and talk bikes.
8: It's a good place. Yeah, good, goodbye.
6: In Anchorage, I'm Dev Hardiker.
1: That's all for this edition of Alaska News Nightly. We had reports tonight from Christina McDermott in Dillingham, Dan Bross in Fairbanks, Robert Woolsey in Sitka, Wesley Early, Jeremy Shea and Dev Hardiker in Anchorage, Thomas Copeland in Petersburg, and Ava White in Nome. Our audio engineer tonight is Dave Emmer, Tim Rocky is our producer, and I'm Casey Grove. Good night.
3: News Nightly was made possible by... The law firm of Landy Bennett Blumstein, attorneys who know the people, businesses, tribes, and communities of Alaska. Landy Bennett Blumstein, online at lbblawyers.com. The IBEW is the union of skilled hands and generous hearts, hardworking people on the job and off. It's the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, the IBEW. This message sponsored by the IBEW Local 1547. This is statewide news on Alaska Public Media.